Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Sacorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. This episode, we're taking a glance into the world of Lee Brackett's Mars, and we will also help you to serve this offering up at your DCC RPG table. I'm Bob, and with me tonight are Jen... Hello! ...and David. Greetings, Podites. Our selection for this episode is Purple Priestess of the Mad Moon by Lee Brackett. David, why don't you tell us about it? First off, I'd like for you to say that title four times really quick. <laughs> purple Priestess of the Mad Moon, Purple Priestess of the Mad Moon, Purple Priestess of the Mad Moon, Purple Priestess of the Mad Moon. Wow, okay. Uh, uh, I'm humbled. Um, <laughs> well, the synopsis for the show, Harvey Selden goes down to Mars from an observation ship and accepts an invitation to visit Fursa Mack's house by his friend Bentham. He meets a Martian woman, Leela, of a type he has not seen before. From there, he is shanghaied into observing the Purple Priestess Mad Moon Ritual and isn't able to cope, but he does survive. The others want him to tell the Bureau, but he runs for Earth instead into therapy. However, at the end, a communique arrives from Leela, saying she is waiting for him at the next ritual. (laughs) (laughs) Purple Priestess Mad Moon Ritual does not, not sound like a craft beer. Actually, it kind of does. You know, I think they make it in Wisconsin. (laughs) I love the title. I love the title. I really enjoyed the story. I mean, it's a short story, but it's a great, I think, introduction to Lee Brackett. Yeah. This was, quite honestly, one of my favorite reads for this show. Wow. I I know. that It sounds odd, right? Yeah. We weren't bludgeoned with descriptors or this giant cast of characters who we're supposed to keep straight. (laughs) <laughs> and the the anthropological concerns of linguistics and culture specifics really did it for me. Oh, I bet. I enjoyed it so much, I read the stupid thing twice. <laughs> Selden's initial discussion with the Martians is riveting, with him being so concerned. He didn't want his accent to be barbarous. He didn't want to insult them by speaking high Martian versus low Martian. And when he's asked about the stories the first Earthmen exploring the planet brought back, the tales of the rites... He dismissed them. He said they're distortions of folklore, misinterpretations of local customs, pure ignorance, sometimes downright lies. And he tells his host that anthropologists and sociologists came to Mars after the adventurers and thus proved the tales to be fabrications. So in retrospect, there's an earthen veteran named Altman who was likely one of those previous adventurers. When he responds with, they don't need us anymore, I found that to actually be poignant, especially the second time around. Well, I think it's amazing that you can tell such a detailed story without any details. Um, <laughs> That's fair. 
<laughs> they don't even name things. Yes, there's mounts, and we know they're lizard-like. That's really it. They add scales, yeah. Yeah, detail is given where it pertains to the main characters, like when he's in the yellow tunic and they've dyed his skin darker to look like a Martian. But overall, there really isn't a great deal of detail to the narrative. And yeah, the way it deals with the difference between sort of practical and book knowledge is kind of cool. The whole, oh, no, 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 there was no there was no human Martian sacrifices. Oh, really? <laughs> um, that was fun. It's kind of a casual sci-fi story. It's a sci-fi setting. You're on Mars, but it has kind of that European explorers sort of feeling. The people that when they came to the New World and all of the legends and weird stories there. Of course, it's worth noting that Lee Brackett, who's often referred to as the queen of space opera, wrote a lot of really great things. She wrote a screenplay for The Empire Strikes Back, which wasn't used. Wow. Uh, she was the screenwriter for The Big Sleep and Rio Bravo. Huh. Uh, so she did a lot of stuff. She was a really big name for the time and uh, did a lot of writing in the pulps. And most of her stories kind of deal with our solar system and Mars or Venus. And I think this is a really nice kind of creepy introduction to Brackett's Mars. Well, I enjoyed the story, but I felt like Lee set me down at the table with a loaf of bread, some peanut butter and jelly and, and only gave me a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> nobody gets, nobody got killed. There wasn't any action. And my mind tends to feed on stuff like that. So I felt like it was a good beginning to something that I wish I'd had a little more of. The opening dinner conversation was really cool. There was a real kind of anxiety there and there was a little uh, subterfuge. It, was, it seemed like there was a lot of things going on under the surface and I thought that was pretty cool and I thought Lee did a really good job to kind of build that intensity there but I did like all of the races and uh, there were elements especially once they actually went to witness the actual ritual I thought that was really really cool but it's almost like I wanted I wanted more I wanted something to get eaten you know he was taken to the ritual against his will does that count well that's that's not enough no <laughs> well I think that the lack of power action and things like that. A good parallel would be a lot of Lovecraft stories. It's a story of yeah. unease as opposed to adventure or horror. It's yeah. there. There's kind of the big reveal at the end. Followed by a sand loss. Yeah. Followed by a serious sand loss. <laughs> but I think overall, it is a fairly typical pulp story of the time for that. But I think it introduces the concept of Mars pretty well. Well, I'm glad you guys got some jelly with your peanut butter. It, it was almost a, a cautionary tale, too, because they were saying, hey, people need to know about this. Take this back to Earth. And he knew, no one's going to believe me. Why should I bother? Yeah. He wussed and, out. And hey, yeah. part of the cautionary tale resonates even today. Don't ever take an open drink from someone, even if you know them. <laughs> Especially at wow. He gets slipped a Mickey and kidnapped. Come on. So uh, what, what was that section, things to stat? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and there isn't really a whole lot to stat. Um, just the, the, the roofies, right? Well, we could stat the Martian roofie, I suppose. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, Denderon, the god of the Mad Moon, might okay. make a good patron or yep. deity. Hmm. And you could probably do something for Vashna, which is the other moon although there's not a whole lot to draw on there. You could create the Rite of the Purple Priestess. And to me, that seemed... I mean, that's ritual magic there. You know, there's several people casting. There's very few actual examples of spells that are specifically ritual magic. Jen, no, correct me if I'm wrong. But but there were um, there were some naked chicks dancing during it, so that should have helped David out too. 
<laughs> See, there's your action, David. <laughs> um, but I think in the book, you know, they talk about ritual magic, and they talk about how it can be used, but this is obviously a spell that's meant for ritual magic. The Rite of the Purple Priestess awakening Dendron to come and feed on the sacrifice, and all of that creepy imagery there. You could certainly stat the Martians themselves, either as creatures or maybe add a few subclasses for the Martians, or uh, do Bureau of Interworld Cultural Relations Troops. That's Hmm. a mouthful in it. (laughs) I can't say that four times fast. I don't think they did. And I think making an adventure based on this would be pretty easy. Yeah, I think that it gives you some flavors to kind of take and put into your own recipe, if, if that makes sense. I didn't see a lot of options to stat on this one just because it was such a short story. And again, no one got killed. Um, so <laughs> the obvious thing that first came to my mind when I was reading it was the moon god, as Bob mentioned. I thought that was kind of cool. The priestess did have a spiffy silver mask that she wore during the ritual. and I did think oh, yeah. that might be... Something kind of cool to stat up. The vehicles that they flew in, the copter, quote-unquote. Things like that could be statted up and made to be used as transport devices if you were doing an off-world DCC-esque adventure. The market, the descriptors of the market, I thought was pretty cool, and that built a pretty good visual for me. Um, The environmental weather conditions, they mentioned a lot about how cold it was, and when they were transporting him, they uh, waylaid him and took him to the ceremony and he kept mentioning how cold it was the suit that he was wearing i think they pulled over his head but he could still see through the eye holes but obviously it was very cold where they were i think that would be kind of neat to do maybe just a table in general for planetary uh, conditions and weather effects that might be a lot of fun that would be something good to take away from this yeah what about you jen it is true there aren't a lot of critters in this selection but there's some sort of riding beast And Layla herself, right? The cultural investigation and that of the previous adventurers who visited Mars, I think that could be a great side plot in any adventure. Layla herself was mysterious and could be statted up as a villain or one of many similar creatures, like the Low Canalers as a people. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a bowling league. I know. They, <laughs> they, they referred to the people living in the Low Canal as the Low Canalers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> The purple robes themselves may be of some power, because they certainly triggered Selden's psyche when he returned home. Oh, yeah. And who knows what or who he witnessed that caused him to fail that sanity check. But when he asked Mac, he was told it normally surfaces twice a year with the rising of the Mad Moon, and in between, it sleeps. And elsewhere, it was also described as just a memory of an extremely ancient Earth god. So, besides being Lovecraftian, you could even stat something up yourself to fit with that description. Yeah, I really kind of dug the in-between it sleeps. Yeah. And he was all terrified about, you guys want me to tell the Bureau, so they'll come in and try and do something, but they do something, it might get pissed off and wake up. I really liked that. He was so... Well, let's face it, you're talking about a moon. So it's, uh, it's yeah, not maybe. just a small critter that you're going to shoot a couple times and have it bleed out. Yeah, no. It could have actually just statted a full planetary moon creature. How would you do yeah. that? Capable uh, of gobbling, I don't know. <laughs> Behold the power of this fully operational moon god. <laughs> uh, yeah. Its mobility is a little limited, I think. Um, <laughs> how many actions around do you get? Yeah. yeah. As a moon. Well, you know, I'll give it 100d20, but only in a circular line. Yeah, only one per rotation. And, yeah, and one. at that point, is it 
a physical attack or more Yeah, you psychotic? don't want a melee attack from a moon. Cause <laughs> that'd be much more like a Doug Con with a gas <laughs> giant that wiped out Punjar in Punjar 50k. If you hit people with a planet, they tend to die. Uh, Thanks, Doug. What about, yeah. What about props and audio, David? Some of the things that I thought about, was it Leela that had the gold? Uh, yeah. The, the necklace? Yeah. Uh, that was... I think there was a lot of emphasis that was put on that as an ancient artifact. Was it real or was it fake? But it kind of gave me the idea that you could actually searched around just on Amazon just real quick and found some belly dancing jewelry. Uh, normally nice. I do a lot of searching in belly dancing jewelry. It's a hobby of mine. Uh, <laughs> but we'll keep that between me and the cat. Uh-huh. But I uh, actually found some jewelry on there that... It, kind of resembled the descriptors uh, in the book. So you could do that and even get it out and uh, pass it around let the characters, as they're investigating it, if they're looking for important clues about it, you know, that's kind of something that would be neat. Uh, Also, Mars is a red planet, right? So why not throw some red bulbs in your lamps and make it kind of a red environment for your players to kind of build on? And normally that's you talking about the colors, Jen, so. Yeah. Beat you to the punch. And light fixtures. Damn it, Bob. (laughs) You can, uh, I, I did a search just for, you know, space-themed genre games. You can get some really cheap moon and planetary lights, so you could even do that and put them around the table or even on the table to kind of build the ambiance. And lastly, I did a search just out of curiosity because I thought it would be kind of cool to have everybody sitting around the table wearing uh, steampunk goggles. <laughs> so uh, imagine, if you will, a table full of players wearing red-tinted Goggles, and for a small price of two ninety nine a pair, you can uh, do this on eBay. Huh. So those are the props I came up with. And what about music? Music. Well, before we get to the must selection for that, also remember, guys, that you can get a battery operated essential oil diffuser, and there's like no shortage of scents oh. that you can. So if you wanted something kind of spicy, anything that would kind of give a an exotic ah. feel to the table. You can put one of those little discs in, just kind of let it flow behind the screen, and sooner or later your players are going to give that peculiar sniff, and they're going to be like, hey, I smell that. Or you um, can just set fire to a pile of cumin and curry. <laughs> yeah, you can. I'll leave that to you. Uh, musically, I went with a very basic 2001 soundtrack. There are a lot of tracks, I think, that kind of had a little bit of a... Uh, I don't know what, what I'm trying to say here but it was ominous an ominous kind of space feeling i don't know i felt like i was in space with some of those tracks and at the same time i also felt like i was going to get eaten so i think those were uh uh, that would be pretty good for a background noise if you were looking for something like that cool how about you bob right off the bat the red landscape kind of reminded me of that red georgia clay uh, I'll never forget it. First time a buddy of mine saw it, and he's like, the dirt's the wrong color here. So <laughs> if you live in that area, you've got yourself some, some Mars dirt right there. NASA has a viewable map of Mars, so you could always print that out or use that Ooh. as a, a prop if you're sending oh, cool. your players to Mars. You are here, and you are going here. And between that and shots from the Mars rover and things like that that NASA Ooh. has made available, you've got some great potential visual aids there. That is cool. Yay! Now, Yay for space exploration! Yeah! Yay science! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Science. For music, 
I was thinking not just harp music, but maybe discordant harp music or something maybe using one of the Eastern musical scales. There's a couple of Asian, they're sort of harp, sort of not. They're kind of a, I don't know what they're called. They're kind of a, they sound like a combination between a harp and a music box in that there's like metal pieces that, that twang as well as strings and they sound very otherworldly at least if you're from the west and something like that might be really cool to set the tone for the ritual okay well i i'll agree that strains of heart music are a must i think if you could find something with a religious like a light choral backing to go with it that'd be perfect for the scene in the square yeah oh, um yeah. You know, you could find a, a soundscape that has brief, violent gusts of wind, and that would fit the on-land travel to a T. Uh, maybe some gentle background sounds with an announcement welcoming people to a new place, like they're in the spaceport. Oh, that's cool. Uh, for props, everyone was wearing silk in Kahora, in the main city. Yeah, in the main dome. Whether they were the visitors or the residents, everyone was wearing silk. And the pale globed lamp, you could help recreate the imagery, like in the end scene of that ritual, where it was held up and it was just the silver face profile with the dancing women below the moon. So you could could do a lot of things with that one, I think. And you could always have your uh, folks, uh, if you purchased uh, silk robes for them, you know, hey guys, get changed up. We're going to really get into this and have a very comfortable uh, session with everyone wearing silks. Different game, different dice. <laughs> uh, Depends. Are we sitting at the table or on, on little cushions on the floor? <laughs> on, on, on lounges, yes. On fainting uh, couches. Like hedonist bot. Don't knock it. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't. What, what consenting adults do by themselves or in large numbers? <laughs> It was the 70s, right? Yeah. And thinking about existing DCC stuff that kind of can be reskinned and inspire, right off the bat, what sprang to my mind was the 13th Skull, because you're trying to essentially stop a sacrifice. And this is all about a sacrifice. You could so easily put that onto Mars and do some changes. Well, and don't forget the Silver Skull in there, too. Yeah. As opposed to the Silver Mask, perhaps? Obviously, you know, Perils on the Purple Planet is Harley Stroh's Barsoom, and Barsoom was Burroughs' Mars, and Mars is brackets Mars. So, (laughs) you know, Perils on the Purple Planet or any Purple Planet adventure could easily be used as a basis for a Lee Brackett style adventure. The setting's different in that, you know, the setting for Lee Brackett is right after the technologies and the commercial power of the Martians has faded, but they're still there and more technology's coming through. So it's not just like Barsoom fantasy Mars. There is that science element, but you could totally reskin Purple Planet for it. Oh, yeah. And speaking of Harley Stroh, Sailors on the Starless Sea. The whole adventure starts because people have gone missing. People have gone missing. Why have they gone missing? Is it this chaos deity beneath the castle? Or is it instead the soon-to-be-awakened moon god in the hills of Mars? So, with some changes, obviously, the underground sea portion could be changed around. You could totally skin Sailors on the Starless Sea for Lee Brackett's Mars, I think. I kind of took inspiration at the end when the huge, ominous eyeball uh, made its appearance. It just immediately took me to The One Who Watches From Below by Joe Bittman. I thought, oh, yeah. 
That could huh. be a. I mean, and there's there's eyeballs all throughout. You know, the one who watches and it, oh, and it has a sleeping deity. You really don't want to wake up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I immediately thought of that deity in at the end of the adventure for Job's adventure. So with some reskinning, I think that that could very easily kind of like you were saying, Bob. People have gone missing. You could very easily use that as a primer to get people into this underground area. You could change the walls into a, a very alien-like flesh. You know, maybe you're actually going down into the bowels of the creature. Ooh. And at the very bottom, you run into this big, bad eyeball kind of thing. Or something that causes that serious sanity loss at the end. Exactly. I think that would be pretty easy to do. And, of course, Purple Planet, you've already harped on that, Bob, and I can't agree with you more. I mean, it's just, that's the first thing I think that we all think about when we hear of you know, a otherworldly kind of adventure. It just hardly nailed it with Purple Planet. Other than that, the 998, I thought would be pretty cool. It's basically a little space station that's traveling around with a bunch of wizards riding on it to, <laughs> from here to there. So it could very easily be used. And I know, Gia, I think you were going to mention it too. But what about Conclave did you think was kind of a... You've got multiple domed cities, although the the adventure takes place in one You've got the multiple moons, and yeah, you're sitting there trying to fit in with all these various cultures and beliefs of all of these different people in this melting pot that have chosen to come here for whatever reason. If you put the domed cities essentially on Vashna, the second moon, then you've got the whole 998th Wizards Conclave taking place right next to this sleeping (laughs) moon god. Well, what's to say the the adventure itself isn't taking place in one of the other domes? The main one that they were going to in this story was one of seven or eight. Yeah, that's yeah. always a possibility, too. So why do they got to be ostracized to the moon, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Peril on the Purple Planet. You have the opportunity for so many cultural faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Like when he was worrying, he's like, oh my God, yo, it, she's asked me if I think this is authentic. Um, is this a test? Are they pushing me? Is it real? If it's not real, are they going to hate me if I say it is? Are they going to hate me if I say it isn't if it is? Yeah. I loved sort of the Walter Mitty stress <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that that Selden went through. To go back to your note of sacrifice, trying to prevent one, throw in Doom of the Savage Kings. Mm-hmm. It's another oh, yeah. classic from Harley. Daniel J. Bishop, he's got the newer one, the Dread God, Alcazadar? Yeah, something like that. For me. Something like that. Looking through that, it's got a very similar cultural feel. Man put into new otherworldly environment and dealing with an, a new set of people. And there's this understated religious fervor that that's very awkward to newcomers. Mm. So that one kind of came to mind. Big props to Jim Wampler, Skymasters of the Purple Planet. The view from the host's house in the city felt like I was on the Sky Spire, which is where a good portion of that adventure takes place. Oh, nice. And yeah, I think we pretty much cross-posted all of our uh, inspirations here because I'm still left with Job, you know, the the one who watches from below. Uh Uh-huh. You get down to that bottom level and you're losing your sanity and or your intelligence. Your brain just says (laughs) bye-bye. Ask one of Bob's characters. Yeah. (laughs) That was entertaining. That would bring us to our uh, DCC feature for the show, maybe? Yeah, I think so. What's it going to be? The suspense is killing me. (laughs) As if you don't know. You suggested (laughs) it, you dork. (laughs) And it's an awesome suggestion. Uh, So we're going to go with Crawl Jammer. You know, we kind of featured a setting before, so we're going to do it again. Crawl Jammer is a series of DCC RPG zines, and the whole thing is masterminded by Tim Callahan. And just to give you a a little blurb from the back of issue one, Crawl Jammer is Dungeon Crawl Classics in Space. 
also on Alien Worlds. If Thundar the Barbarian and Iron Maiden had a baby, and that baby were an RPG zine inspired by Edgar Rice Burroughs using DCC rules, that baby might be called Crawljammer, and it would be destined to split the moon in half with its whale of glory. <laughs> That's awesome. That is, and it's worth mentioning that according to Fred Daly, the zine run for Crawljammer is done, and really? the adventure run for Crawljammer has begun. Ah, I didn't realize that. That's Fred Daly mentioned that at Gen Con, that they're transitioning now from zines to just straight adventures. Speaking of Fred, Fred has really got some amazing pieces of work in this run of zines, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, Girl Jammer's worth it for the art, for the yeah. content. I love me some Freddy. <laughs> I guess there are six issues, and it was put uh-huh. out on a bi-monthly basis. And, you know, besides the obvious space theming and everything, they tend to include at least one new class per issue. In yeah. fact, uh, one of them was all classes, and some great random tables. They did make up a bunch of deities for one of the issues, Bob. Yeah, So cool. you've got space gods! I think that's issue five, if I'm not mistaken, and that... You hit it on the head. There are some really cool deities there. Yes, issue five. Good call. Issue five, like Garun, god of scientific slaughter. I thought that was so cool. And you know, I think it might not be a big stretch if you wanted to throw some of these guys in and kind of go the AI route with MCC. Some of the material that I found going through the fanzines, I think, would be something that you might could use with MCC. Well, God of yeah. Scientific Slaughter sounds... Well, I mean, that is... A, that's, that's That would be, in MCC terms, that would be the AI of trying to figure things yeah. out. Exactly. <laughs> it would be the AI of artifact checks for MCC. Well, we do have... Let's see, I counted a total of six adventures offered by Crawljammer. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest one being part of the run that Fred was talking about. Is that the one Daniel Bishop wrote? Or? Yes, and I think this latest one actually really sinks its teeth into this episode's material. Mm-hmm. It is Ashes and Wormwood by Daniel J. Bishop, as you mentioned, and it was released in two parts. The first one is The Weird Wormways of Saturn and the second is The Vault of Ash. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think the first one had been issued sooner. Uh, The Vault of Ash was just released at Gen Con. Right, Vault of Ash just came out. I was really bummed to find that that was there and I didn't get a copy of it because I do have the weird wormways of Saturn. So, yeah, um, I missed that, unfortunately, but... The, the adventures all look so cool. I don't know what you guys have gone through yet, but the weird wormways, definitely something you guys want to pick up. And is that Daniel Bishop not slowly infiltrating every possible avenue of DCC? Your words, not mine. <laughs> it also helps that, and I'm saying this as the host of a podcast devoted to Appendix N and DCC, he has a serious Appendix N fetish. <laughs> and pretty much any adventure he's written, well, any adventure he's written, you can say, hey, what was your Appendix N you know, inspiration? And he will tell you because there will be yeah. an Appendix N inspiration for pretty much everything he's done. It's almost getting to really the point fantastic. where we could ask him, hey, were you reading this, this, and this, these works into your new piece of magic? And he'll say, yes, that's exactly it, because it, it's becoming a little obvious. Or he'll say, what, you haven't read this yet? Oh, uh... God bless it, that's true. <laughs> well, it's just like your Vault of Ash kind of hints at the weird underground fallen god, you know, ancient demon gods, and that really fits to what we just read. It probably is not a reference to the Lee Brackett Mars, but it so easily could be. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for that cold alien planet with the freezing waters and isolated bits of dark vegetation or groups of people acting as if they're one organism, like that crowded square in Jakara. Even the the very old artifacts involved. Yeah, they're they're all 
pretty solid tropes, and, and they're in this particular one. I should mention one of the earlier adventures offered. I might have to run whether or not my group likes the sci-fi peanut butter in their fantasy chocolate. <laughs> Simply for the title, it's Space Pirates from Beyond the Grave. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with the pirate kings of Pluto, perhaps? Um, mm, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> So that that won't be too difficult to give. We could turn Mr. this Callahan episode right now love. into an actual play, and you could just start running it. I'm in. Uh, David, you in? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, hey guys, Make it's been running. fun. Yeah. Uh, it's been a late <laughs> night. I'm done. <laughs> you guys wrap uh, this up yourselves. So let's get back to more about what Crawljammer is. You okay. read the little basic intro there. Crawljammer, I would say, is loosely based on the second edition D and D Spelljammer. Is that right? Would you guys say that? I would say it's at least based on the concept that inspired yeah. it. Um, yeah. It strikes me as kind of a combination between Spelljammer and Star Frontiers in that, True. yes, there's that fantasy piece, but it really is more of a science fantasy as opposed to just fantasy through the ether. Ah, okay, cool. I totally agree. Um, what you'll get if you if you purchase issue number one, it sets you off with some basic rules about space travel and the ships that are floating around, they have gravity wells, so that keeps you basically anchored to the ship while you're floating through space going from one planet to the next, and I thought that was kind of cool. It's a very simple but effective way to explain space travel for kind of a fantasy ship that's floating around. You get your, I think in the first issue, I think there's one race, the Lizardman maybe? Yep, Lizardman Mercenary. So I would say if you guys don't own any of these issues, start out with number one and maybe five, because five actually gives you some advanced rules for crawl jamming. So if you wanted kind of to figure out the whole thing. Issue 1 gives you a very basic explanation set of rules for traveling through space, whereas Issue 5 kind of adds a little to that, and I think those two issues would really kind of get you, as far as ship-to-ship battles, there's a little more advanced rules, I think, in number 5 for that as well. And I love some of the tables in here, like magic items and space oddities. There's descriptions for the items itself, the origins, and a random effect. You could end up with a uh, fuchsia globe of Tiana, and the user takes 1d12 damage each round until someone pulls it away from the user. (laughs) Uh, Whoops! (laughs) And I may have said issue 5 or number 6, because I I was meaning issue 6. So that is, I think, the Ah. one of the advanced rules. Yes, 5 has the deities. Okay, issue one and six would be really good to get you a basic and a little bit of advanced understanding of the rules of actually crawl jamming. The stuff in Crawl Jammer, the, the language is so appendix and evocative. When you look at the adventure titles, Jen mentioned, you know, Space Pirates from Beyond the Grave, or Cry Freedom and Let's Slip the Batman of Venus. <laughs> Just yeah. wonderful little things. The phase ship of the Starmongers. I mean, these read like appendix and pulp yeah. short story titles. They're really written with that sort of mindset and there's care taken to really evoke that setting and that feel. And I like that they've kind of come up with what they're calling the Perilous League as their you need a hook? Here, the Perilous League is going to hire them to do this. And <laughs> so in issue six, you also have a zero level adventure. Oh which yeah. I think it's the only zero level one in the mix called Recruitment Day for the Perilous League. And it's written by someone other than Callahan. It's Gilbert Isla. Mm. And I would call it the initiation for the newbies. The new initiates are supposed to go to the moon for training. And, you know, something always happens and route. So it's got a nice mix of a little bit of dungeon crawl, a little bit of just flat out survival. And the one session that I played with Callahan year before last at Gen Con, we were all part of the Perilous League and it was a lot of fun getting to play the Lizardman Mercenary 
even at, <laughs> even at level zero or one or whatever it was. And <laughs> Wasn't that the session where Fred Daly was sitting there listening and essentially illustrating the adventure for the future as you were playing? As awesome. inspiration hit him, yeah. That's cool. That's what he was there to do. He's pretty awesome. I like the, uh, I think if I'm saying it right, the Yolivar, which is kind of a alien fly. I was reading through <laughs> that, and that's probably one of my favorite playable classes or class race. I think they're pretty neat. They actually have a lot of little abilities, but one of the things I thought was really cool is when they die, they actually don't die. They flicker out of existence, and then a duplicate comes in and takes its place, and the duplicate doesn't realize that it's died, but the cool thing is you have to reroll all your stats and your hit points again, which is <laughs> kind of a, a kind of a different thing you know, I haven't seen in a while in, in some of the DCC products, but I think the yellow var is pretty cool. Well, and hey, there's a list of cocktails and <laughs> some, oh, of the, see, now, some of the tables in here. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that the Red Planet Rendezvous, the two of the adventures kind of link from one issue to the next, and it's really good stuff as a setting, and I think it was really smart of them to put the stuff out to kind of whet our appetites, get yeah. people interested, and now they're putting out full-bore adventures. It's an awesome idea. Yeah, the, the first part of this one by Bishop is actually a hex crawl. It's slated for level 5 for both of them, so both are a little bit tougher, but there's no say in whether or not you have to be standard classes or crawl jammer classes or a mix of something else. It's just a nice setting with an adventure. Well, and I think the way they, they started out, I mean, you know, issue one is a first level adventure, two and three is a second level two part adventure, issue four mm-hmm. is a level three adventure. Uh, then they, they went back and they did the level zero and now they're they're moving forward. It gives you as as a judge a chance to just sort of drop your players in and let them grow because it's not like, oh well we've published five second level adventures and three funnels and nothing in between. There's a nice variety uh, so you can just kind of build the adventures with the players as they grow. And they're not so locked in that you can only play this material. I think uh, some of the supplements for Purple Planet would interweave in there really nicely as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Let's face it, DCC judges are really good at reskinning things, and you can take a regular DCC adventure and reskin it for Crawljammer. So, reskin which, which is... anything. Dinosaur Crawl Classics! <laughs> yeah, so you, know, you could actually reskin a, a Goodman product to go with a third-party product. It's sort of the reverse of what often happens, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, well, sweet. So you guys definitely need to pick up Crawljammer. Well, and hopefully in the future they might do what Reed has done with Crawling Under Broken Moon, put out kind of an omnibus collection as the oh, other yeah. issues start getting harder to find, put out a collection of the first six issues. That'd be nice. Let's face it, even people that have the zines already would pick up a collection of the first six issues. Yeah. So. <sighs> yeah. so do we have any road crew shout-outs or convention oh, shout-outs? Oh, good lord. Yeah, Bob's going to make me go horse over all these. Hey, there's a lot going on. Okay, uh, Mr. Stephen Bean will be running Rock God Death Fugue at the Pacificon Game Expo in Santa Clara, California. That'll be this coming Sunday, September 4th, right after we air. This guy named Bob Brinkman, he's going to be launching... Total poser. I, I, I don't know, something... Uh, Skull and Crossbones Classics at uh, Dungeon Games in Estero, Florida. Uh, this Saturday, September 3rd, there's a uh, fundraiser for the Big Cats Memorial Fund. A local gaming history, anyone in the southern Florida area, whether you're southwest or southeast, come on out. It'll be great. Mr. Ian Walker is looking to start a regular DCC road crew presence in Denton, Texas. That's the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, Contact him. I think he's over on the G-plus stuff. He is on the G-plus group. 
Yay! Jeff Goad continues the Brooklyn DCC goodness with Doom of the Savage Kings on September 11th at the Brooklyn Strategist. And in addition, the Brooklyn Appendix N Book Club is meeting to discuss Paul Anderson's Three Hearts and Three Lions. Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see, more stuff on the list. We've got Masks of Lankmar being run as part of the Asheville Scarefest in, is that Montreat? Mm-hmm. Montreat, North Kakalaki. Yeah, that's basically close to Asheville, I believe, Montreat. Yeah? Okay. On uh, October 21st, and that'll be starting at 1.30 p.m., we have William Smith and Becky Foxhaven. We would like to congratulate both of them, each for running their first ever DCC RPG game. Oh, right. So sweet. Hey, that's you awesome. You guys rock. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are awesome. November brings Gamehole Con in Madison, Wisconsin. We'll have DCC judges Brendan LaSalle, Jim Wampler, Reed Sanfilippo, Julian Burnick, Doug Kovacs, Michael Austin, and Forrest Guy. Full event registration starts on September 3rd. So, again, this weekend. And I've heard rumor that these people from this podcast called Sanctum Sakura might show up. So. <laughs> oh, God, those losers? Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Who yeah. knows? We might maybe maybe David Beatty will run something off book or Ooh, yeah. more dark trails. I'll probably do some dark trails if someone gives me some cheese curds. I'll bring you cheese oh. curds if you'll finish the dark trails adventure <laughs> we started at North Texas. Uh, deal. <laughs> All right. Um. Hey. Uh. Someone out there, can we bribe you to buy some cheese curds and uh, we'll pay you back so David can run this game? <laughs> yeah. We're good. And, Thanks. You know, by that point, I'll have already run the Skull and Crossbones Classics Adventure, and maybe I'll run that off book as well. Awesome sauce. Yeah, that one's Drink and the Devil. Sounds really cool. I heard tell of this um, know, Carnival of the Damned tournament going on in Southwest Florida. It's going to be October 29th, if anyone's interested. I didn't know that. Who's running that? Um, Do we know? <laughs> Probably you these guys, guys you're talking to. Oh, well, that's awesome. Dungeon Games, uh, as kind of their Halloween special, we're going to run the Carnival of the Damned Funnel Tournament. You know, there, there's going to be you know, trophies and a lot of fun. So if, especially if you haven't made it to any conventions and had a chance to play, or you know, even if you have, because let's face it, if you played, you've died a lot, horribly. <laughs> um, you can come on out and have come a Come on out and you won't have to pay for each ticket. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, guys. I didn't know that. I, I missed that somehow or another, so it's kind of cool to hear you're going to be doing that. Yeah. yeah. I think you're just excited because you don't have to run it. Maybe. <laughs> well, cool. Anything else, or are we have we gone through all the event? Want to take us out, Bob? Well, as always, we'd love to see what you create based on the works we've covered or other Appendix N works that have inspired you. Submit your events or your creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media or find us on the regular social media sites, G+, Facebook, still not on LO. Keep an eye out <laughs> for our future topics, and we can include your material in the show companion. And remember, yeah, we're always looking for art. If you've got something that's inspired you and you scrawl it down, send it to us. Yeah. Always, always, always looking for art. Thanks for listening. David, do you have any last Definitely. words? Uh, guys, come see us at Game Hole, because we should all be there, and it'll be a hoot. Thanks for listening to us tonight. Yeah, if you come out to Game Hole, come sit close, because it's going to be cold. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, when we went to Gary God for the first time, Jen had never seen a lake that was frozen over. Ice boats scare her. <laughs> Shut up. So, um, thanks to our listeners, not so much thanks to my host. <laughs> my co-host, yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening. 
Good night. Good night, guys. Be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join us next time as we celebrate Halloween with a study of Roger Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October. The Sanctum Socorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2016.